G'day guys, Luke McElroy from Mess Performance Assaulting. Welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast, joined by Nick Jankoskis again today. Um, we're going to talk about fraction of expired oxygen. So for those that haven't come in for lab testing before, fraction of expired oxygen is one of the key graphs, probably that and lactate being the two most important graphs that we get from an athlete um, to give us an idea of, of what sort of training that we need to do to improve strengths and weaknesses. So fraction of expired oxygen is exactly that. It's the, the, it's the percentage of oxygen that you're breathing back out into the air. So as a bit of background, at sea level, so close enough to where we are now, we breathe in about 21% of oxygen. So all the air we breathe in, about 21% of that is oxygen. The rest is carbon dioxide and a little bit of nitrogen. So we breathe in 21%. At rest, we're going to breathe out between 17 to 18%. So let's say we breathe in 21 and we breathe out 18. Our fraction of expired oxygen is 3%. 21 in, 18 out. Sorry, our fraction of expired oxygen is 18%, but it means we've used 3% of the oxygen. Yeah, so it's just simple mass. 21 in, 18 out. We've used 3%. So our fraction of expired oxygen is at 18%, which is what we breathe out. Now, when we start to exercise, obviously a lot of things happen to the body. Our heart rate goes up, our breathing rate goes up. And another thing that happens is that our muscles extract a larger percentage of oxygen. So instead of it being that 21 in, 18 out, it's still going to be the same 21% in, but it's going to be maybe 16 or 15 or 14% out. So if you have 21% coming in and you've got 14% coming out, our fraction of expired oxygen being 14%, our utilization is now 7% instead of 3%. So we've used you know, just over double the oxygen. So a little bit of numbers going through, but basically when we start to exercise, we breathe less oxygen out. Therefore, we've used more for aerobic energy production. Nick, do you want to go through a little bit about um, the general trends that we see in a fraction of expired oxygen graph and then how those trends correlate to um, figuring out aerobic capacity versus aerobic power and then I guess what we would actually prescribe off the back of it? Yeah, so the, the, the important thing to, to note there and as much as there's probably a few numbers there and if you're getting a bit confused, it's really, really simply, I mean, the lower, the lower that FeO2 number is, so the lower that percentage, so if you're 14 or 13 is better, 13, 12, et cetera, the lower that is ideally, the better. So the, the common graphs we see uh, when we do some baseline testing, if it's someone coming in for the first time or whether they've come in a number of times before, depending on the, the timing of that test in their race season, for example, the common, the common graphs we see really is one of two variations. There's either a graph that's quite, if you want a picture, quite stable and flat. So as exercise intensity increases, FeO2 might stay the same for quite a long time. So we might go through 11, 12, 13 kilometers an hour on the treadmill, but FeO2 throughout that time might be still 16% or it might still be 15%. The number isn't as important there. We're just looking at the trend in this circumstance. But then all of a sudden towards the back end of the test, it just the graph looks like it shoots up. So we've got this really flat period and then it just starts to launch in terms of going up really, really quickly. And all of a sudden we get back up to 17 or 18% towards the end of the test. Um, that's the first... I guess, profile that we typically see. The second profile that we see is more of a constant increase. So we start out quite low, uh, good utilization, and then it slowly trails up. Now, the thing we have to remember with this is that when we look at the data, FeO2 looks like it's getting worse, so to speak. So it goes, it might start at 16% and then it slowly gets up to 17 and maybe 17 and a half by the end of it. So it's like, oh, you said before, FeO2 lower is better we have to remember that our ventilation is increasing as 
exercise intensity increases as well. So we might not be getting as much bang for buck. And this is where it becomes critical from training, uh, a training perspective. We're not getting as much bang for buck in terms of the percentage because our muscles just can't actually uptake. And you might want to touch on this in a sec um, in terms of the physiology behind what your muscles are doing, Luke. But ultimately we get to this, we get to a point where we're going to have to just supply more air and we're just trying to turn things over a bit quicker. Um, so that's where our oxygen consumption total, our VO2, if you like, um, and ultimately leading up to our VO2 max, that's constantly on the rise as exercise intensity increases. But our FEO2 as, a, as an isolated number seemingly looks like it's not, not as good. So our ultimate goal here, with regardless of which profile, whether you're that, that really flat and then it shoots up towards the end or if it's more of this constant increase, our ultimate goal really is to try and lower FEO2 in, in some form. Now, Typically, what we see is with those graphs that are very, very flat to begin with, and then they shoot up really quickly at the back end. Commonly, that's that's pretty typical of I would I would say majority of majority of the the longer endurance athletes that I'd see um, who do a lot of base base type case training or zone two training, if you like, really really good at the bottom end. But maybe uh, once they get past threshold, their their top end they haven't maybe focused on as much. They haven't done any work right up near VO two max, and, and so FEO two starts to drift away. Um, somewhat quickly. And this graph almost mirrors what your blood lactate graph looks like at times um, in terms of blood lactate also will go through the roof towards the end. Uh, it's just improving that ability to use oxygen. So really here, we're looking at, we probably still want to maintain some of that long, slow work, but we do definitely want to work on that top end. And, and we think about it as flattening off that graph. So we want to try and bring where it's shot up towards the top. We want to try and flatten that down. So we've got a bit more of a, when I say a bit of a slower burn, we might start at 16% and it slowly drifts up towards the back end of the test rather than being really consistent and then, and then getting really, really steep if you're looking at the graph uh, at the back end. So that's what, like I said, that's all of your VO2 work, your, your, your long intervals, your two to four minute type work, your one-time work to rest, all the good stuff that we've talked about on, on this podcast before. Um, on the flip side though, the other graph that we look at that I, just, again, probably see quite a bit, and this is a really common one, uh, as well is is that bit more of a constant increase and that's probably a bit more typical for those who've spent a bit more time more so in that sort of thresholdy zone and they've got a or they've got a pretty evenly spread engine so they might have done some bo2 previously and then they've come back and done some threshold it's quite well rounded there isn't uh there isn't a clear i guess deficiency or weakness if you like it's each part's probably pretty good um where do we now need to spend our time well there's potentially a number of different ways we could go about it but Largely, when I see that graph, um, part of it's going to be a bit of that that longer, slower work, adding in a bit more of that to get the initial stage maybe down a bit if it's coming up, if it's been a bit more gradual increase from the very beginning of the test. A um, bit more sort of zone two might be useful there. But then it's contextual. Like if I see that graph and we're six weeks out from a race, well, we're probably going to do some very race-specific work. I'm, I might ideally like to go and maybe work on some VO2, but what's then going to be prioritized for the race, probably probably going to do some race-specific work. If I've got six months until I'm racing, well, VO2 is probably going to be more appropriate in terms of the timing. So that's that's a graph that's a little bit different, but I'd probably say the graph I see most is that really, really flat and consistent, nice and early. And then once we sort of get to basically our threshold or our functional threshold, FEO2 really starts to aggressively tail off. And that's really, really common. Of Majority of endurance athletes do a lot of base bit of threshold, but not really much at the very, very top end of the engine. 
Yeah, cool. So, so to really um, provide some practical application for our listeners. So the FVO2, it all comes down to measuring your aerobic capacity and your aerobic power. Um, and we use both of these training sessions. So zone two is your aerobic capacity. The zone four VO2 intervals is your aerobic power during our base phase. So when Nick was saying that, hey, maybe we don't look at it too much six weeks out from a race, well, that's because we're in our race-specific phase where we're not necessarily trying to take in transport and utilize more oxygen. We're trying to just get used to our race intensity. So on the FVO2 graph, aerobic capacity, a good indicator of that is two things. How low is it on the graph? Is it 16 15, 14, or 13%. The lower is better because you're using, you're taking up a larger proportion of oxygen, which is exactly what you're trying to do during your zone two base sessions. And then the other thing is how flat is it and for how long? Like if you can keep that at, let's just say 14%, right? And it stays at 14% for the first eight minutes of the test, that's a really good aerobic capacity. You've got good resilience. If it starts at 14 and goes up, then you still need to do some more base base training. So we look at how low does this FeO2 graph get? That's our aerobic capacity. And then we look at how sharply it inclines around about threshold and beyond, or, or our, if we're gonna get technical, we could talk about our ventilatory threshold one and number two. So after that ventilatory threshold number one, which is the, the top end of your zone two base, um, how sharply does it increase? And if it increases sharply, then you need to improve your aerobic power. If it increases gradually, then you've already got good aerobic power. So what does this mean practically? Now, I mean, the only way to, to, to measure this is in, in some lab testing. But to give you an idea, um, you're going to have a good aerobic capacity. So we would expect you to have a low fraction of expired oxygen graph if you can hold a submaximal workload, so your zone two, for a long time without too much decoupling. And decoupling is when your heart rate might, so you hold the same power, let's say you're holding 150 watts and your heart rate's 120. If you can hold 150 watts for two hours and your heart rate stays at 120, then that's a good indicator that you've got a fairly good aerobic capacity. But if after an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, whatever, you're still holding 150 watts and your heart rate rises from 120 to 125 to 130, then that's generally a good indicator to suggest that you might need more aerobic capacity work. The flip side is that maybe you don't because it could be dehydration. It could be due to thermoregulation and being really hot outside. So that's where the lab testing obviously comes in really handy. But that's to give you a bit of a practical idea of what a good aerobic capacity would look and feel like. With aerobic power, um, again, we look for that sharpness in the FVO2 graph. But practically what it would feel like is if you get to, you figure out what your threshold power or pace is, what, what your, your threshold is. And when you go slightly above that, can you withstand it for a little while or do you fatigue very, very quickly? If you fatigue very, very quickly, we would suggest that you probably have a poor aerobic power because although you can't sustain um, above your threshold for too long, you should be able to go above it for a bit and, and you can have some resilience to that. So if you have a good aerobic power, you can go above and below your threshold quite well. So that's like crit racing or, or, or bursts of speed in, in some running events, whatever it is. But if you go, uh, if you're riding along a flat, for example, and then you hit a hill and all of a sudden you're tired straight away, you probably have a, an average aerobic power. But if you can maintain that higher intensity for a bit, um, that would be a good indicator that your aerobic power is sufficient. So again, lab testing is the best way to see it, but that's practically what it would look like. Aerobic capacity, holding the same heart rate for a long time at the same power. Aerobic power is being able to go a bit, of, a bit beyond your threshold without just falling to pieces. Um, 
in terms of what Nick said before, the, the FVO2 is always going to increase at higher intensities. It's always going to get worse because the, the rate limiter is your aerobic power. Like you're, you're, you're going to fatigue. Everybody reaches VO2 max eventually. Yeah. So you, you think of it practically, it makes sense. Like you increase intensity, go beyond your threshold. You're going to start breathing really fast and a lot deeper and breathing more air, but you're still going to have a relatively linear increase in your oxygen consumption. So, um, it's not a bad thing. It's just inevitable. It's always going to happen. You're going to breathe in more air and get less percentage of oxygen from that air because you're almost at your physiological limit. You're almost at your maximum rate of oxygen consumption, which is your VO2 max. And in terms of the physiology behind it, um, a lot of it is genetic and a lot of it is to do with the, the structures in the muscle. So we're looking at uh, something called AVO2 difference or arterious venous oxygen difference. It's basically how much oxygen can we extract from the bloodstream into the muscle to use for aerobic energy production. So to improve our, our ability to absorb that oxygen, we need a couple of things. We need more mitochondria. So bigger number, uh, bigger surface area, bigger size of our mitochondria. And mitochondria are the, the, the things, the organelles in the muscle, which where aerobic energy production occurs. So we need more of them in the muscle so they can use up the oxygen we also maybe need a tiny bit more myoglobin, which is sort of the embodiment of hemoglobin. Myoglobin is in the muscle. Hemoglobin is in the blood. So the myoglobin will carry the oxygen from the, the bloodstream uh, to, the, to the mitochondria. And the last thing we need is more capillaries. So capillaries is a blood vessel which surround the muscle, and that's where the blood comes from. So we send the blood from the heart to the arteries, to the, to the capillaries. Let's keep it simple. So arteries to the to capillaries diffusion occurs so so the the oxygen goes from these tiny little capillaries around the muscle bed into the muscle via the myoglobin the myoglobin carry the oxygen to the mitochondria the mitochondria then use it for, for aerobic energy so if we can improve all three of those processes of the the, the capillaries the myoglobin and all the mitochondria we're going to be able to um, uptake more oxygen that's going to push our fraction of expired oxygen graph down which is good because it's going to be able to absorb more oxygen so in a long roundabout way um we know that sorry we know that genetics play a big big important part in this as well some people have more of these capillaries and more myoglobin and more mitochondria than others and that's why they're just naturally talented and naturally have a low fvo2 and a high vo2 max but these things can be trained doing the right type of work whether that be the zone two and all the zone four work. Um, anything to add to that, Nick? Yeah, I think just just on that, the importance of how everything's interconnected. And I know we've talked about this a few times on the podcast more specifically, but the, the process you just described there of, of how integrated this whole, like we're, we're from an FEO2 perspective, realistically, we are looking just at that end point. It's like what's happening from when the, when the blood gets to the muscle and we're, we're looking at oxygen getting into the muscle and actually being used. That's kind of the process that largely FEO2 is going to represent because um, we've got our, our other metrics for things like ventilation and heart rate, et cetera. But it, it's just this, it, you have to remember the whole system's interconnected. So even with something like fraction of expired oxygen, it's, I mean, if, if our FEO2 maybe when I say isn't as great, but it's all, it's, everyone's going to be relatively said with genetics in terms of what number is, is I guess good or bad to oversimplify it for certain people. But um, in terms of when FEO2 starts to slide away and, and not be as great, if we're, we're looking at it that way, or it starts to increase on, on the graph, usually that's 
that's at those same points that we're starting to see blood lactate increases. Well, why does that happen? Well, if we're not as effective at that at that point to use the oxygen, we're, we're not able to create all of the energy. I sort of want to say purely aerobic or as aerobic as we like. We're still definitely dominantly aerobic, but it's a case of we have to get some of that additional energy somewhere because the muscle just can't use it. You've only got on that particular day when you come in and do testing, you only have certain number of mitochondria. We can go and train that and, and improve that. But on that specific moment when you when you are testing, the infrastructure within your body or the physiology within your body is what it is. We can't change it in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so once we do get to that point where the body goes, oh, I probably can't use any more as a percentage or it's starting to get hard. So I have to try and find other ways to supplement the energy. That's ultimately where we're getting some of this increase. So really when, when I said before, the graphs match up, like a, a lot of our graphs that we get at the end of the test all look when I say some of them look very similar in terms of, well, we're seeing some sharp increases in our ventilation at similar points to when we're seeing our FeO2 start to have some sharp increases and tail off. And that also then reflects what's happened with blood lactate, because if we can't use as much of the option as we would like, well, we have to get the energy somewhere and that's going to come a bit more anaerobically. So that means we're going to produce a bit of that blood lactate as a byproduct. This is this is ultimately, I guess, a bit of a roundabout way of talking about how we get our training zones. Really, is matching up all of these different points because all of these little systems within the body are all going to work pretty integrated. Um, so we're going to see similar patterns for when they happen. It's just which what, what what are we what are we specifically looking at? And then ultimately, if we're looking at trying to improve, well, if we can get better at F, from an FeO two perspective, that percentage of oxygen's improved in our favour. Well, what what effect does that have? Things like ventilation start to reduce well if i don't have to i don't have to breathe as much air in total or supply as much total air because i'm getting a better bang for buck in terms of the extraction at the muscle and, and use that then has a flow and effect to well it's a bit easier for me to produce a bit more aerobic energy so i don't have to produce as much blood lactate because the anaerobic contribution is not as high that's how we can see things like ftp start to improve and ultimately vo2 max get the higher intensities and the output side start to improve as well so I think that's that's probably a, a key one to remember is FeO2 is one of our key graphs that we look at obviously by itself and it's one of the key ones that we'll go to first when we look at the data, but it's it's a really good reflection with some comparisons of other other metrics of, of what the system's doing as a whole rather than just its its individual part. Um, because there are there are so many influences that it something like FeO2, an improvement there can have a significant flow on effect down the chain, uh, improving the rest of the rest of the body and how it functions. Yeah, no, spot on. And essentially, what 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 Nick's saying there is that if if you have a, um, a, a if your fraction of expired oxygen is declining, so getting worse, you're going to have an increased anaerobic contribution. So if you have a if your aerobic energy system is struggling, then your anaerobic energy system is going to increase its contribution to fill the the demand that's there. And by filling the demand that's there with the anaerobic system, we get the, the blood lactate, the hydrogen ions, the lactic acid, whatever term you want to use. And that's the burn in the legs or the arms. And that's what's fatiguing. On the flip side, if we can improve this aerobic, um, the aerobic energy system through our key metric of, of FeO2, if that can improve, then you're not going to need that anaerobic contribution until a higher intensity. So you're going to push your functional threshold power up and all that burn is going to happen later or at a higher intensity. So our FeO2 graph is essentially a, a, you know, that and ventilation are the, the two most key graphs that we see in terms of our aerobic energy system. And if we can improve that 
the, the performance result is that we don't need to use the anaerobic energy system until a higher intensity. So we're going to be able to hold a, a maximal sustainable power output, our FTP, whatever it is, at a higher intensity and therefore improve performance. I know this is becoming a long podcast, Nick, so I just want to go through one or two, um, I guess, case studies of, of things we've seen where we've identified a clear weakness and then we've given them some, some training based on that to improve performance. And, the, and the, the one that comes to mind for me, and feel free to add one if you've got one um, top of mind after, but uh, this was a couple of years ago, I had, um, I had Josh come into the, into the lab and he was, uh, he's a triathlete, but also a runner. So he does a bit of both. And his PB was a 39 minute 10 K run. And what he, what he had, a, his FVO2 was 13% at the bottom end, which is phenomenal. Really, really good aerobic capacity. But then it skyrocketed up. It really inclined quickly. So it went from 13 to about 17, you know, just after his threshold. So it went up really, really quickly. So based on the trends that we're talking about, he's got a very good aerobic capacity, but a poor aerobic power. So what that means is a poor aerobic power, we need to improve the, the rate of his oxygen consumption. All right? So we need to do exercise, which is really high intensity. We need to accumulate time at VO2 max. Because if we accumulate time at VO2 max, in a simple way, we're forcing our body to use oxygen faster because that's what you're doing at a maximal intensity, yeah? And, and the, the adaptations that he achieved by doing that was the increased number size and surface area of mitochondria, more capillaries, maybe some more myoglobin. End of the day, it, it's, it's making his body extract that oxygen from the capillaries or the bloodstream faster. His VO2 max was 68. Four months later, it was 80, which is a huge result. But... Who cares? The, the important part was that his 10K race time went from 39 minutes down to 35 minutes. So he's knocked off four minutes in his 10K race time in four months by doing no extra training. All, all we did was twice a week do those VO2 intervals, which is what he wasn't doing previously. He was just doing long, slow, easy 10K, 15K runs. So because the data showed us that the FVO2 graph showed that aerobic power was, was poor, that's what we did. We did some aerobic power training and we saw, you know, what's that 20% gain in, in four months versus if you just stick to your normal, let's do your base, then your threshold, then your whatever, then you might be chasing one or 2% of gains. Because by, by do, analyzing this data, we get the strengths, we get the weaknesses. Why focus on the strengths when you can just chase easy gains and the weaknesses? Um, so that was one result. And, and that triathlon season, because we did trials as well, he, he podium most races as well. So that, that's, a, that's a, uh, I guess, a best case scenario where, hey, that's a huge 68 to 80 in four, in four months is, is a massive increase in VO2 max. Uh, there's a big genetic component there as well, but it just shows that, hey, let's find your strengths and weaknesses. And then when you found these big weaknesses, turn them into strengths. You've got 10, 15, 20% scope for improvement by doing just a couple of training sessions a week. So they're, they're the best case scenarios where you can see, hey, here's the graph, do this training. And then um, the end result was just higher numbers, higher VO2 max, but the, the the performance result was a higher threshold, a higher race pace, and therefore obviously improved performance. And I think the thing, thing off the back of that, like most people might think, it's like, oh, well, that's intuitive. He wasn't doing those VO2 efforts. So by just going and doing something that he wasn't doing is going to give a serious part of partly, yes, that's true. But the, the main thing is identifying that that's how hard did he have to go based on the lab testing, but then also the fact that he did have to do that VO2 work. That was the key to unlocking that extra pace over 10K and, and improving his triathlon. That's the more important part in terms of, I guess, if we come full circle of why we do, why you go in and would want to do lab testing. Well, you can get those insights. I mean, if you don't have something like, even as simple as we didn't have FEO2, we'd, we'd be looking at going, well, 
how can we squeeze some squeeze some things out? It's like, yes, we can do some work at the top end, but is it still threshold? You're not really sure. But in this case, it's like the FEO2 graph gives us a really clear picture of what is our, what is our limiter to performance here? Well, it's working on that upper end, that aerobic power, get better at using the option right at a maximal level. That's what's helped shift everything up. And ultimately, yeah, there's some pretty, pretty big changes there in terms of VO2 max and things like that. They're all great to listen to, but the, the process behind that was it completely just took out the guessing of what session is going to be beneficial now. Like, is it, do I need to do thresholds? Yeah. Do I need to just do more base long slow? Or do I need to go really hard? Like not really sure. Do the test within, within what, 20, 25 minutes of him running through the test and finishing up getting the data. We know pretty clear, particularly in some of these examples, when we look at some of those really, those clear, obvious ones, it's, it's a no-brainer of, yes, we need to do that very, very top end or, or where else do we need to change it? And that's how we see in relatively short periods, three, four, five months' time, massive change sometimes because it's the body is almost asking for it. It's just how how hard then do I need to push, which is what we're going to get from, from that data as well, um, which is then going to refine some of those intervals and know all right, what is the exact stimulus we need to give or provide mm. through our training to get the result. Yeah, it'll tell you what to do and how to do it. Yeah, spot on. much. Beautiful. Let's leave it there, mate. It's a bit of a longer podcast episode. So in, I'll try to go through a very basic summary. So basic summary, fraction of expired oxygen tells us whether your aerobic capacity, so your base training and your aerobic power, so your VO2 stuff is good or bad. From that, uh, you can then prescribe the appropriate training based on the trends to, to improve that. Always you know, always focus on your weaknesses. Like it's, it's easy gains, unless you're a pro and you've got 25 plus hours a week. Focus on your weaknesses because it's easy gains. Um, as I said, that obviously the, the the best way to to measure this is is in lab testing. But to give you an idea of what you may need to do, if you're going out riding at 150 watts and your heart rate's 120 and it stays at 120 for half an hour, hour, two hours, you've probably got a good aerobic capacity. But if the heart rate starts to increase at the same power, you probably need to improve that aerobic power. If you're doing it, if you're um, on a hill on your threshold and then you go above your threshold just for a couple of seconds and you blow up you've probably got poor aerobic power but if you can go above it and then recover and go above it and then recover then you've probably got good aerobic power just to give you an idea a practical idea of of, of where you're at um, everything's interrelated so if you're if you improve your aerobic energy system then you don't have to use your anaerobic energy system so you're going to push your functional threshold up You've got two energy systems, aerobic or anaerobic. Improve your aerobic, you use less anaerobic. If you've got a poor aerobic, you're going to have to use more anaerobic. That's going to be a, a limited to your performance. We'll leave it there. Um, thanks for tuning in. Any questions, please send them through to Nick, nick at metsperformance.com. Otherwise, we'll see you on the next one. Hey, podcast. Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram, at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.